Hi, I'm John Chambers, partner in Corporate Innovation at IE and host of The Corporate Innovator, a podcast that gives you direct access to visionary corporate leaders, makers and advisors to level up your innovation game. The Corporate Innovator is produced by IE, Australia's largest independent innovation company. We work with corporate partners to develop, design and deliver transformative ideas to market. Learn more at ie.com.au. In this episode of The Corporate Innovator, we're going to explore everything data, how to capture it, use it and manage it. Dale Stevens, Chief Data Officer at AGL, is our guest today and she's an embracer of change using data and technology to meaningfully transform how AGL operates and how it serves its customers. We're also going to cover how data and technology have evolved and how to prioritize them in your business strategy, why data is as valuable an asset as your brand to differentiate your business, how you can use data to prepare for and control business outcomes as well as pursue new growth opportunities, how to lead without being an expert in your vertical and how to be visible mentor to those who just starting out. From humble beginnings in Ballarat, Dale has worked the world over and she's got a lot to share. So let's jump in. Really great to have you with us here today, Dale. Thank you. I wanted to start by acknowledging that we're talking on the lands of the Wurundjeri people here in Melbourne, acknowledge their elders past and present, and just acknowledge their incredible creativity and resilience just deep respect for everything they've done and everything they do. We wanted to talk a little bit about your time at AGL, of course, but before we get there, Dale, we wanted to really get into some of what's made you who you are. You've traversed a range of roles and industries. You've done some time in the startup world, some really interesting stuff that you've done there, all on the way to you know, your key roles at AGL. So let's start with what are some of the critical moments that you've seen have shaped your career? Uh, So I think that the very first day of my career really shaped where I am today. I did a Bachelor of Business and Information Systems, but I'd majored in accounting. And the graduate position that I took was with a computer manufacturer. So I moved from Ballarat to Sydney. I'd never even been to Sydney at that stage. I moved to Sydney and the first day of work was in a factory building PCs. So graduate rotation moved around different things. Building PCs, the very first weekend in Sydney, I was selling computers to people and exploring all the different things that they did. And I just really fell in love with the, with technology and the possibility of it, like where it could go, how it could help people. And back then it was like Excel can do your maths for you and Word can correct your spelling. But just that possibility to unleash human potential and help people and make things different and easier. I just fell in love with it. And so I stayed in a technology, I tried to be an accountant briefly, but it didn't work. I stayed in a technology career. I moved to a couple of different places, but quite some time ago, I became an IT consultant going into different businesses and different industries, different companies, understanding what their needs were, replacing their old IT systems, putting in new technologies, really kind of imagining their future and making the technology work for them. And doing that, I got to travel around the world. So working in lots of different cultures, I lived in Hong Kong and Germany and Sweden um, before I came back to Australia. But that experience of working in lots of different industries, really spending time understanding what people needed and then making technology work for them. But then also doing that in different cultures, like learning to live in a different culture is really quite influential as well. And I think it's really made me love 
change. So I think change is something that a lot of people are scared of and it stresses people out. I just love it. I love change. And so I like always have to kind of temper my life. I'm happy to throw change at everyone, but not everyone loves it. So I have to really kind of temper that bit of excitement that I have there. But so then maybe 15 years ago, I started working at NAB at National Australia Bank in a tech role there. And I moved through lots of different tech roles at NAB. I remember at one stage I was working heavily in the SAP, like the enterprise technologies, and realised that if I was going to have a career in banking, I needed to learn how the banking business worked. So making a conscious choice to like completely change direction, or still technology wasn't completely changed, but going and moving into a part of the business with that supporting technology that I didn't understand the business, but understanding what my strengths were. I remember being in the interview and them going, you don't understand how the mortgage broking business works, so what are you going to do here? I'm like, well, I understand how technology works and how to run technology projects and teams. So I think what has enabled me to move to lots of different roles in my career has been knowing how to take one set of strengths and put them to work while you develop others. After I came back from maternity leave at one stage, digital was really taking off, which is hard to believe now that it didn't <laughs> exist at one stage, but digital was really taking off. So, you know, NAB had websites and internet banking and we were just starting to develop mobile apps. So it's like, I don't understand anything about digital, so I want to go and learn that. This was a huge learning for me in leadership, but in that interview they said, we're looking for the technical digital expert in this space and it's clearly not you. So what are you going to bring to this team? And what I said at the time was, you've got 200 experts already. You don't need another expert. You need someone that can lead them and get the best out of them and give them the space to innovate and to create, but get that to happen in a big corporate and get that over the line. And so that's what I can do. And so I got that job and I had the best time. I learned so much about digital, but it's also a little weird to have your team talking to you going, I don't know what they're talking about. But you learn, like you learn in that moment really quickly. And I think that as we move into whatever topic you're talking about, being curious and interested in it, to learn about it without having to be the expert in the moment, like just letting go of needing to be the expert because you're the boss and just going, wait, what's that? I'm like, tell me more about that because that's really interesting. I think just that conversation certainly inspires ideas in me, but also inspires people to bring out their ideas at the same time. So I went into digital and then I moved into kind of back into the enterprise space. But in doing that, I always stayed really close to things like what NAB Labs were doing, their big innovation space. I was on the advisory group for NAB Ventures as well and just always kind of keeping in touch. I became really interested in startups through NAB Labs was engaging with them. We ran hackathons. We did all sorts of different things. So just really being in a big corporate and understanding that need to get outside in perspective, see what else was happening and not just do it from going to conferences and events, but actually deeply engaging with what was happening in the startup community around fintech. And then I moved to AGL two years ago. So AGL, I just, energy industry fascinated me. I love working in big companies, but energy industry, what AGL was doing in terms of investing in its transformation of its underlying technology, the way it thought about customers, where the energy industry was going. And I said before, I loved change and that's what's happening in the energy industry. And I just really wanted to be a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an amazing time. It feels like energy has gone from being the boring utility a few years ago to being the sexy 
fascinating new point of change yeah. Yeah, in well, the economy. Just think about, like, as a consumer of energy, you used to get a meter read once a quarter and a bill sent to you, and now you've got a mobile app telling you what your energy usage is day by day, hour by hour. It's not just the technology that has changed, it's the consumer expectations have risen phenomenally as well. And like all of the technology and data is there to support it, which makes it so much fun. I love from what you just shared about your history, that intersection between technology and customer and technology and business, which is where the value really gets created. Yep. No wonder you've been so successful because it's that curiosity that really companies need more and more is not tech for tech's sake, but tech that drives yeah. genuine value. Well, I'm really conscious of that in data, like with our data engineers and our data scientists. Because it's just so fascinating, you can get lost and go down rabbit holes that are really interesting for you. But if they're not interesting and they're not going to produce some kind of outcome for the benefit of the business or for a customer or for a stakeholder, then you're just doing it because it's interesting for you. So there's a time and place for that. Like that's why you have side projects <laughs> and things that you do on the side. Got to love because, engineers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you have your home network or whatever. But always being that check against why are we doing this? Is this getting us to an outcome that's going to be beneficial? And so you mentioned startups and you can see from your CV that curiosity playing out and a bunch of stuff that you've been doing. Where do you see that value or that intersection between startup and corporate as the world changes, as corporates try to become more agile, leaner, find new value pathways? Many different perspectives on this. What's yours? How do you think about that? Absolutely, we learn from each other and we challenge each other. So there are things that big corporates do today that they would never have to have faced into if there weren't all of these challenges out there making things happen and having so much impact. But I think the two things that kind of keep them separate but keep it challenging is that startups want customers and big companies have customers. And big companies want the agility and the offerings that the startups have because they can move so much faster. Brilliant minds make brilliant things happen. And so that's where they come together. So a really great example for me was Back at NAB in the very first big hackathon they ran through NAB Labs, the winners of that hackathon were a company called Medipass. And then years later, Medipass was NAB Ventures' first big investment. And so that's a bit of an ecosystem happening together. Like their agility, their ability to move really fast, NAB's customers was attractive for them and that agility and the offering from Medipass was really attractive to NAB. So those two coming together, I think, is a really good example about how the big corporates and the startup kind of world can help each other. Not just challenge each other, but help each other I as noticed well. John Davey, who used to look after yeah. NAB, is just going He's now the CEO, CEO. <laughs> exactly. See, yeah, big relationship there. Yeah, I think, so that's kind of the big business of the corporate and the startup. But for me personally, I get lots of energy with just going and being at hackathons or talking to startups or talking to people with different ideas. And so I think there's value. And at the same time, I think the people that I talk to hopefully learn a bit from me about what it's like working in NAB with its 35,000 employees or, you know, the big companies like AGL and NAB, that those you know, startups or smaller businesses can learn what scale looks like as well. And so, you know, I mentor through Stone and Chalk and I reckon I get more out of it than, oh, well, I hope the people that I mentor <laughs> get stuff out of it too, but I absolutely get interesting ideas and energy to like keep doing interesting things when I work with those different groups. 
wouldn't mind also exploring a bit about your journey as a, a woman in technology and the opportunity. There's so much happening in the space now, uh, which is exciting about really that diversity in the technology field. Love your perspectives on what yeah. the future holds. How do we really accelerate the incredible value of that, that more diverse workforce? But yeah, how do we yeah. ramp it up? Well, I think for a long time, people have been trying to argue the points about why a diverse workforce is important. Like people should know that by now. I don't think there's any point trying to argue about that, but I like, how do you realize it? Mm. How do you make it happen? I remember when I was first moved into a head of technology role and talking to my manager at the time, and he was saying, well, what do you think about diversity in the workforce? I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> kind of just always just got on, on with the job. Yeah. But I've always had these amazing role models around me. And he said, have you ever stopped to think that maybe you're that role model for other people now? And I absolutely hadn't even considered it. He was right. I was like, yep, I get that I am. But I didn't know what to do with that. And then I just kind of felt like people were watching me. <laughs> I was like, okay, do I have to do something different now? But actually then working out how to almost be a role model that lives their life out loud. So instead of being, okay, that's Dale that I used to wear a suit. I don't anymore. I threw them all out a long time ago, particularly now. But that's Dale that puts on the suit and goes to work in the corporate space. And then that's me at home and everything else that goes on. But really working out that, bringing those two together, being able to talk to people about, you know, I've got a young family, my husband works full time and I do this. And I, you know, like just talking about those things out loud, being more visible, like talking to more people, like getting up on stage and talking to people doing podcasts, doing interviews, like all of those kind of things. And not really being someone that wants to big note what I do, but actually realizing the more that I am visible, the more that other people see it's okay or that it's possible. So here's a story for you. I grew up in Ballarat and I played a lot of basketball. And when I was in year seven, and my mum still has this essay that we wrote, but we had to write what career we wanted when we grew up. And I said, I wanted to play basketball for Australia. And Ballarat has had a number of men and women that have made it to the Australian team, including people from the club that I played for. And so, like, when I said I wanted to play basketball for Australia, there was never a moment of anyone saying, that's hilarious, which it actually is in hindsight. But at the time, it was, everyone was like, yeah, cool. Work hard, you'll get there, train hard. But then years later, when I said I wanted to study science, then there was, well, that's not really, why would you do that? Like there was a lot of questioning of that. And you know, there was no people like me that were visible, like television in Ballarat was, we only had two channels in those days, but there was no people like me that were visible that made it seem possible. And yes, you can be the first at something, but it's incredibly hard. So when I kind of recognized, okay, maybe I'm a role model, then a big part of that is being visible so that other people see, well, I can make it to that. CIO role or that chief data officer role because there are other people like me out there. But it does put that bit of pressure on you that you need to speak up about it and be visible. And then it's just supporting and encouraging and like all the things that leaders and that people do in helping and supporting each other. So if you put aside, is diversity a good thing? Because it is, <laughs> it just shouldn't even be a question. And you work out how to help and support and encourage people just like you do for everyone, sponsorship, mentorship, but making sure there are visible role models of people like them. I think that's really the secret to how to get there. I love it. So let's talk a little bit more about technology and then get into data as well. So you've been in the CIO space for some time. I imagine 
that the role of technology has continued to change and transition, obviously, but in those times quite a lot. How have you seen that change and how has the value of technology to the larger organisation shifted maybe even in the last 10 years and with the role that it plays? I think a lot of, particularly in big companies that existed before the technology existed, the way that technology grew was very much as kind of a master-server relationship with different parts of the business wanting some kind of solution for something. And so for years, the technology strategy was always be a trusted business partner. <laughs> like we wanted to get away from being the servant to being a trusted business partner. But I think what's really changed and maybe even more so with COVID-19 is organizations really realizing just what a huge role technology plays in the success of their business. And so how do you draw on those experts that know that technology or know that data? Or if you go back to my first day on the job, seeing the potential and the possibility in something. So you just don't have a business strategy now that isn't a combined business and tech strategy. They just go hand in hand. I can't even really comprehend today why you would have a business strategy that wasn't either hand in hand or really underpinned by what your tech strategy is. Well, you've got tech going off doing one thing, business doing other. Like that has been a huge change over the last 20 years, I think. To go from that master-servant relationship to try to aim to get to that trusted partner to be, did you know this was possible? and business strategies going after that then. I think that's kind of the shift that's happened. And then just, okay, from tomorrow, everyone has to work from home. We are completely relying on technology has kind of driven a bit more of a realization about just how dependent organizations are on their technology, but also opens up, well, what are the new possibilities around mm. that? What else could we do? I love it. Really simple way of thinking. It's that transition, which has been really powerful. So let's think about data in your current role at the moment. If you think about the 1990, late 90s, the internet became real, digital started to form. The last 20 years has been this ongoing evolution of the role of digital. And most companies would now say we're digital first or mobile first and how we think about our business model, how we think about our customers. Data has probably been the biggest story of the last five to seven years where that's great to be digital first, but if we can't extract the full value of data and, and what we know about our customers and into that experience, we're not maximising it. So possibly data first is the next wave of what's coming. And you're sitting at the intersection of that. I imagine yeah. a large established company who are shifting into that world. Tell me about it. How does a company like AGL bring data to the fore with all the complexity of the data architecture, everything that's behind there, how do you bring that to the fore to transform customer yeah. experiences? I think the big difference with data compared to digital and other things is that data's actually always been there, even when we had paper-based reports and stuff. So data has always been there and it's underpinned all of the digital transformations. People have been talking about big data for years, yeah. not really knowing what it was. Sounds important, <laughs> I don't really know what that is. But I think what's really changing with data is two things. One is just how exponentially it's growing. And I will get this number wrong, but it's something like 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two years. And so it's just, it's a huge thing. But one of the things that's really interesting when you think about companies and businesses is that what is the special thing about you as a company? Mm. So there's your brand and reputation and there's your data. 
they're the two things that cannot be copied. Your technology, you can steal staff, you can model your whole business on someone else's business model, but your brand and reputation is one thing and your data is the other thing. And so I think that's what makes data so interesting to me is that people have started to think about data as an asset for the organisation, not as like a transaction. And so when you start to think about data as an asset, then you start to think about, well, what do we do with it? And what do we do with that data is first off, trusted, secure, private, all of that kind of stuff. One of the big questions you always get when you start talking to people about data and analytics is they can't get their hands on the data that they want and then they're not quite sure whether it's right. So nailing that first and then privacy, employee, consumer protection, absolutely. So one is trusted data sources, protecting your data, looking after it, securing it. Then it's like, well, what's next? And you kind of, like if you go through the maturity cycle, it kind of starts out with reporting, which is a bit of like what happened. Give me the reports on last month's financial results mm. type stuff. And then most people, next step is to start to dig into it and go, well, why did that happen? And that's where most people had traditionally stopped. So the big opportunity where we get to data science and AI and machine learning is to start getting into predicting what's going to happen next based on what happened in the past mm -hmm. and what else we know, a whole lot of other information. So predictive, like what will happen, and then getting to that next level, which is more prescriptive and saying, how do we make that happen mm -hmm. and not that happen? And so where you're getting into the machine learning and the AI and all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the path that you go on. You can't jump from one to the other first, but different parts of your organization will be able to do different things. And so, you know, a lot of, like if you think of a power plant or a wind turbine at the moment, then we've got sensors all over those things, mm. telling us what's happening, measuring different things. In the first instance, we're kind of going, we want everything to keep running. So give me an alarm when it vibrates too much or it's stopped turning or whatever. But how do we get to a point to say, how do we make this wind turbine more efficient? When you add in it's not just data then, and it's not just the skills of data scientists and connecting all of that data together. You've also got sensors and all sorts of other technology that are coming together to make something else possible than just how much energy did we produce last month? There's a big opportunity to get to the other end of the scale on that. If you multiply that out by every wind turbine or every single thing that's going on in your organization, that's what's really happening with data. I know at Telstra we used to always talk about almost an 80-20 rule where when it came to data and the emergence of ML and AI and everything that's happening, we'd sort of say it feels like about 80% of that is focused on internal use cases, making things more efficient, wind turbines, better analysis and BI, better churn reports, and then about 20% of the energy we try to focus on new product-driven use cases or externally facing use cases. And trying to get that balance right. How are you seeing that emerge at AGL? Because it seemed to me that we kind of almost built our chops with an internal view and then started to think about how could we use this capability and this incredible data we've got to help genuinely transform client experiences or customer experiences. So I would say pretty much the same. So you're really starting on how do we become more efficient? How do we become more effective? And it's just not cost reduction. It's yeah. also in the case of we're a generator of energy as well, then how do we generate more efficiently? But then what new opportunities can we create? And I, I wouldn't say our consumer experience is in our 20% because that is our core job as well. But the energy industry is changing mm. so much. So where do we go with that? Where do you look at things like new 
technical advances in converting waste to energy or electric vehicles or those kind of things, which aren't part of our core business now, where our consumer experience is part of our core business now. So, you know, I think about that 80, I don't know what our percentages are, I've never actually stopped to think about them, but a very large percentage of it is on that. How do we use the data that we have today to operate our existing business with more benefits? How do we then use new opportunities for new lines of business as well? And so I think it's the same, but you can't go to that breakout growth, brand new thing and leave behind everything that you're already sitting on. There is just so much data and it's not just consumer data. It's a data about our business. It's a data about what's happening at plants. It's a data about the weather and the environment and everything else is all sitting there and it all plays a big part. So putting that to work on our existing business first, then looking at how we expand our existing business and then looking at what breakout growth opportunities there might be as well. And so Dale, you mentioned that with the emergence of IoT and convergence, well, all of these things will be connected. So I'd love to get your perspective on how you see that emerging further, what those killer use cases are potentially for consumers, as well as internally for AGL, maybe also how some of those assets in the physical world could be translated into data so they can be used for whole new use cases for consumers. I think it's really hard for people to understand what that means. What is IoT really? But the way we're using it, I think a really good way to think about it is Formula One race cars. So they've had sensors on those cars since the 70s. They were early pioneers of it. And what they're doing is really creating like a digital copy of the race car so that their engineering teams, their analysts, you know, the people that aren't driving the car can see what's happening. And maybe they can see more about what's happening with that car than what the driver can because they've got these sensors everywhere. So if you think about that, you've got a Formula One race car covered in sensors and those sensors are really your internet of things, if you like, and that is sending a digital twin of what's happening with that car as it's being driven around the racetrack or the training track to people that are looking at it, then they can create simulations, they can predict what's going to happen. They know more about it than what they ever have before. So if you take that concept and apply it to other things in business or other things in our world, then that's what the possibility is. If we can create a digital twin using sensors and IoT of our generation sites or of the wind turbines or of anything in the physical world, we can create a digital twin of that. Then we can use that to simulate different environmental factors, different business factors that we can simulate things that are going to happen and we can make different sets of decisions based on those. So that's what happens in business. We can create those kind of twins of our business, but then for consumers, it's the same. How do we use all of those devices that consumers have in their home these days, be it their television or their fridge or their I don't know, toaster, maybe. How do those things start to, rather than just use energy or rather than just tell you you're out of eggs or something, then how do you use them to give you different sets of information, simulate different environments, and then present a different set of choices? So I think that's the really exciting part that is we can start to create copies of the real world and use it to play out different scenarios and start to get into getting onto things before they happen or presenting a different set of choices that mean you can kind of manipulate different outcomes. Yeah, I love that. And it kind of leads us to another big question in this space, which is security and I guess 
balancing the opportunity or the reward of data and how we might use it versus the risk of using it. And only recently we've just heard from Scott Morrison and the federal government come out with some heightened national risk assessments coming from bad actors from the outside. So I guess the dataization of physical assets is right at the heart of some of those big risks. How do you think about that balance between what's possible here but managing the risk of using data? So in the data strategy that I have, my team has at AGL, at the core of it is that we trust and protect our data. So we don't do anything until we've covered that off. So that risk and that ethics and how we look after data, how we treat it, how we think about it is at the core of what we do. And we have to get that right before we can do anything else. And so, you know, our strategy is very much we trust and protect our data and then we put it to use. To me, it's not just getting the balance right, it's what comes first. And getting that bit that comes first right before you do anything else is beyond even a balance, I think. It's the core principle of the way you look at what we do. Now, let's talk a little bit more about AGL and how your teams are going. AGL have come out this week with some big announcements around a commitment to the energy transition, decarbonisation, really focused statements and commitments, including long-term incentive structures for executives being committed to decarbonisation, which is great to hear. You're at the heart of that in this really interesting company. The energy industry is getting more and more interesting as this journey of the transition occurs. Just love to hear where you think data, your role, technology generally is in this energy transition for a company like AGL. I think the climate statement and providing you know, carbon neutral options to all of our customers is a huge step forward. One of the reasons I joined AGL was that it was a company that was committed to transformation and to the future and it was taking steps to achieve that and it was also big enough that when AGL does something it can have a ripple effect out into the market. So what we do in setting a leadership position is one thing that other organisations may want to copy, but also just that we are big enough that what we do makes a difference. So um, that was one of the reasons I joined AGL. And I love seeing that happen. You know, the executive LTIs, that's me as well. So I am welcoming that. I think what opportunities we have, though, in what we do with data and with technology is super exciting right now. So our innovation thesis thinks more than decarbonisation is absolutely a part of it, but it goes further than that. We look at circularity, we look at connectivity and all of those kind of things, and it starts to get really exciting because they're things that are going to enable the potential of what we're sitting on, but also they're just really important things for the future of climate, for the future of communities and for people connecting with each other. But what I love the most, and I mentioned it in when I was talking about the Formula One race cars, but what I love the most is just how much more we can do to put more choice back into people's hands. And it's not an energy company, you know, like years ago, utilities, read a bill once a quarter, that's the whole engagement. Just the future is so much more about having so much more information and putting it to work so that people can make choices. And I think, you know, one of the biggest privileges that anyone can have is the ability to be able to make a choice. And so I I love that we can be a part of that and that we can make such a huge difference just from the energy industry and from AGL. 
Dale, that's been great to hear the flow of your career, how you've transitioned to this space of leading the customer experience through data and ultimately being part of this incredible transition for an energy company like AGL. So I just wanted to say thank you. I'm really grateful for having you on. I'm going to love watching your story unfold. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of The Corporate Innovator. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're loving the episodes, be sure to tell your friends or leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions, or guest ideas for the show, you can email me at hi at ie.com.au. See you next time.